Hi, I'm Hannah Carden. I'm the teaching pastor at Urban Village Church. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she and her. And I'm so, so grateful to be here with you today. Um, I'm grateful that you made it and that you came um, and that we can pray for one another and love one another. And so I would ask you to pray with me. God of grace and mercy and power, be with us here today. God, in all that we are, in all that has happened, in all that we are experiencing, help us to know your presence and be changed by it. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be yours today, be acceptable unto you, be of you. And if they're not, help us to find you wherever we need to, that we might live as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you may know that my husband, Matt, and his family are Jewish. And so we as a family um, celebrate different holidays with them uh, throughout the year, often in person, but this year especially, <laughs> often not. And so a few weeks ago, we were preparing to celebrate Passover together. Passover, the extraordinary celebration of the Hebrew people's deliverance from slavery in Egypt, right? That there was great freedom where there had been unfreedom, that there was possibility where people had thought there was no possibility, and that God delivers us from the greatest pains of our lives, but also from the oppressions of community and nation that seem like they will never, ever fall apart. It's an incredible one. And we celebrate it each year with his family, but this year was a little bit different uh, because we were celebrating over video chat and we were all in different places and it was just kind of a couple weeks into self-isolation. And so we were still figuring out how to do all of this stuff. And, and one of the strange gifts of that was that we ended up having to really think about and then teach the kids what each element of the Seder plate was for. You make a plate at Passover that has a couple of elements, each one of which signifies a part of this story that we are dedicating time to remembering, right? Um, and some of those elements, in part because we were not great at preparing, um, but in part because we're used to going to someone's home who has prepared those, and so parts of it we just didn't think about or didn't know where to get, we didn't have. Karoset, which signifies both um, like mortar between bricks, it's apples and honey and walnuts, but also um, hope, the sweetness of hope in the new year, the sweetness of life. Those we could get, those we had. Um, one thing we did not have was a lamb shank, a bone of a lamb that signifies the lamb sacrifice um, the night before the people were delivered. And also sometimes because of the, the length of the bone, people will call it God's arm, that it, it represents God's arm always reaching out for us, always holding us, always um, being there. And we, we did not have a lamb bone. <laughs> and so we had a long conversation as a family about what in our house would be the best replacement for the lamb bone. Would it be anything that looked like a bone? Would it be anything that kind of had that shape? Would it be anything that had that color? And we ended up deciding at the end to use a little lamb toy of the kids, a stuffed lamb toy that we put on the plate. Uh, the lamb toy was not harmed in the making of this Seder. And because they thought that that was going to be the most connected to that story of making a sacrifice of lambs. And it was just amazing to me the ways in which having to really 
think about what we were doing. Because some holidays, you, you kind of get used to how they are, right? You, you do them because that's how you've always done them. But having to really think about what we were remembering, which Passover is so good at. The liturgy just has questions and questions throughout it, um, was changing it for us, was making it this even more powerful experience. One of my favorite stories I heard the day after um, the the two seders that you often do at the beginning of the week from a rabbi friend was you often um, during Passover will leave an empty seat for Elijah at the table um, because Elijah is a prophet who is known to when it happens announce the coming of the Messiah or um, but also like shows up in times of trouble uh, so people will leave a seat for Elijah uh, there was a family who in their video chat for Passover, had all the little boxes of all the little faces that I'm sure y'all have been staring at. They made a separate account for Elijah and then just left an empty square, right? So that they could remember that part. We believe that God will show up for us and we believe that surprises can happen any moment and Elijah may show up to, with us to be in this time of trouble. They found a way to remember that part of the story, even in these circumstances. This may sound familiar to you because in our faith tradition as Christians, we've been trying to do a lot of the same things, right? Um, figure out what will it mean to remember our tradition? What will it mean to be faithful to it in a new time when that looks really different? Communion is a big time for us when we remember the story of what has happened before. We only do communion in the first place because Jesus commanded us, right? Remember me. Remember what I did. Remember what it means every single time you take this meal. And then don't only remember, be changed by it. Don't only remember, live differently because of what you have remembered. This whole notion that a lot of what faith life and spirituality are, a lot of the ways that God works in our life is to remember what God has done before and then be made different because of what you know about who God is and what has happened has been on my mind a lot lately. Because I am thinking, as we are going to be thinking through in this sermon series, about what to do now. <laughs> about now what? About what next? We are in many ways still living through the middle of the crisis that we're living through. We don't know how long it will last. We don't know when we will gather again. We don't know how it will be resolved, right? So there's there's much that remains unpredictable and ambiguous, which has been true for a lot of God's people throughout God's history. But I already see people living into an instinct of hoping for normal again, right? Of the way that they're thinking about this time in our lives is if we can just get through it, then somehow we can return life to how it was in January of 2020 and never think about it again. And I get that impulse. I really do. <laughs> I hear it. I understand it. But um, it's probably not what's going to happen. And my hope is that it isn't what happens. Because this is an opportunity as we realize the ways in which this crisis has revealed things that have always been true, um, but that it acutely brings to the surface of our common life, of our common understanding, I don't want us to move forward like we haven't learned those things or like those things aren't true. We are becoming acutely aware in this, right? How much having access to healthcare matters to every single person and how hard it is in the system that we have. We are becoming acutely aware 
through the ways in which black people, particularly here in Chicago, are contracting and dying of COVID-19 at rates not seen in any other community and especially the white community. Um, how the racism that we knew was in the healthcare system, right? We've known this the whole time. We've been telling the story of this the whole time. It has come acutely to the surface for everyone in this moment. Those aren't things that I want to forget. <laughs> the fact that there are so many people who don't have, as I am so grateful to have in you and in my church folk, um, a community of people to rely on when things get hard and when they're not sure what's going to happen next. I don't want to forget that. <laughs> These things that are becoming um, a part of our experience of why this time is hard, they aren't things to paper over. They aren't things to put another surface on. They are things to say, we remember. We remember how hard it is and how hard it was. And so we want to live differently. We want to be transformed by that knowledge. And when we ask now what, I want to say that I want the next phase of our life together to look different than not only this one, but then all the ones that came before. I want to remember, and I want to be different because of what I remember. This is an instinct that has been with us for a long time to try and erase whatever the hard part is, the, har the harmful part, the trauma part, um, coming from a place that is really understandable, um, that is <laughs> something that I feel and many feel, right? Which is, I don't want to dwell there but it never gets us to where we wanna go. I read a book um, that changed my life several years ago uh, about Christian space, um, where the author said, people are always trying to get us to return to Eden, but the call of God is not to return to Eden, the call is to march to Zion. The things that happen to us are a part of the story that God is telling. The things that we go through matter. They aren't things that get erased by the hope at the end of the world. They aren't things that get undone by the kingdom. They are things that get made new, that get resurrected. When Jesus is resurrected, he still has the wounds on his hand, and yet his body is made new and shiny and something extraordinary. Because that is the promise of God, that what we live through matters, that we don't forget it, and that God, through God's power, can transform it into something new and bold and extraordinary. This theme of remembering and forgetting and, and what we must remember to be with one another as God calls us to is one that is essential to Joseph's story. And so it's why we read from Joseph today. Joseph is one who uh, lives through a lot. The book of Genesis is filled with so much. But Joseph is like a quarter of the book of Genesis, all the way from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. And a lot has happened even before Joseph comes along. Genesis, every page could be millions of novels, a thousand movies, right? You could just tell this story forever. Page one, oh, here's Adam and Eve, and then Cain and Abel, and then we've got Noah and Abraham, and we've got Judah and Tamar. Everything is so rich. And all of that story, all of that richness, all of that hardship is a part of Joseph's story too, right? Because Joseph is the son of Jacob, the son of Israel, and he is one of 12, and he is one of the... the um, 12 who will become the nations of Israel later. He is a part of history. And his particular portion of that is that he has these dreams that show he will have power over his brothers and they resent them so much. They are so angry about those dreams um, that they decide to kill Joseph. 
And they walk, they walk back from that. They end up not killing Joseph, but selling him into enslavement in Egypt. But Joseph is one who knows what it is to go through um, times of extraordinary hardship. He is um, first enslaved and made a servant in Potiphar's house, uh, an Egyptian kind of bureaucrat official, and sexually harassed by Potiphar's wife. And then, as happens to so many people who are sexually harassed and abused, um, he is the one who pays the price of someone else's violation of him, and he is put in jail. And there he meets two people, a cupbearer and a baker, and they ask him to interpret their dreams. Dreams are coming up, dreams and dreams and dreams. Um, And he does so uh, correctly. He anticipates what's going to happen to them. And what's going to happen to them is that the cupbearer is returned to to the service of the pharaoh and then forgets Joseph completely. So Joseph is stuck in jail for two more years. And it uses those words that he doesn't remember him right? That he doesn't remember him until all of a sudden it's useful to him to remember because the Pharaoh has a dream that he can't figure out and really wants somebody who can figure it out. And so his servant says, oh yeah, there's this guy. He might've been like stuck in incarceration for the last couple of years because I just didn't think about him once I had what I needed, but he was really good at interpreting dreams. Maybe he could help you out. And, and in this story, we begin to see these two themes in Joseph and these two ways of remembering these things that we need to hold in our hearts. Um, one is how do we get through things as a community? And one is how do we get through things as um, individuals? And the two are always related. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house, when Joseph was in jail, these were awful experiences, um, situations that no human being should ever be in. And yet in both, the scriptures say the Lord was with him. And Joseph kind of found a way to make it through, to to take nothing and make it into something. He found a way to be himself. He found a way to act. He found a way to to take um, some joy and ability to be his interpretive leader self in whatever situation he was in through God and through being connected to God and through remembering always God is present with me. God is with me in this hardship. God is with me in my pain. God is with me in my joy. And and I know that this should not be happening and and I can um, be with God and remember who I am. Joseph can remember, as we can remember, in whatever hardship comes for us, what it is to be made from God and what it is to have God with us in all things. But it's not just Joseph who needs to remember. It's everyone who needs to remember. We need to remember the people who have left behind. As the the servant to Pharaoh does not remember Joseph, but could have changed his life if he did earlier. And then we come to the place where the community must remember. What we read to you today, right, is Pharaoh's dream of these seven fat cows who are filled with life and abundance and uh, milk and wonderful things, and then seven who look gaunt, look sick, don't have anything, don't have enough, and a similar dream um, about plants. And what Joseph says is, what this means is that Egypt is going to have seven years of abundance, right? The farms are going to overflow. There's going to be more than anyone could ever imagine. And then there's going to be seven years of not enough, seven years of famine, seven years of nothing will come forth, nothing will come forward. And what you need to do, this is where Joseph is so like smart in the way that subjugated people often are, right? What you need is a guy who can lead all of that, who can make all of it happen. 
And Pharaoh says, great idea, and puts Joseph in charge. And Joseph becomes the one who leads the community through this time of trouble. Because they know what is coming, they prepare. Which, if I were preaching to a group of people with a different set of powers than us, uh, I might think about how, had we prepared right? How different would our life be? Had we taken this lesson from Joseph? Had we prepared for what we knew was coming? How many lives might we have saved? But we, even if we are not in charge of the policies of the nation, are can prepare in other ways. We can be of mutual aid to one another, right? We can see that what is coming is a time when we will need to share. I often wonder if those first seven years when Joseph was putting what looked like extra into the storehouses if people were angry and sad and scared. But then in the times of famine, right, that they wanted it all, that it was what was there, who knows what will happen. But then in the times of famine, right, they have to learn to share both among themselves and then also with the nations surrounding them. Because for any to be fed, all, all must be fed. And, and we have to share what we have and what we have accumulated if we have had the gift of accumulation. We have to remember right? And we, we prepare. So Joseph does his job. Like Joseph does exactly what you would hope. He saves the nation. He ends up reconciling with his brothers after through conversation, they sort of show him that they have changed. And also when they need him, um, when they need what he has brought, and they are all brought together in this new land. And you would think that that would be sort of, and then they lived happily ever after. And then Joseph and his family, the people of Israel, they were fruitful and um, had more life and more joy and more hope. Joseph even names his child. Um, God has been fruitful in a barren land. But just as soon as Genesis ends, Exodus begins. We see this story in which the people have been everything that God asked them to be. They have made a way out of no way. They have brought forth new life. Joseph has changed the life of the country and of the nation surrounding and helped them survive the hardest time. And then it says in Exodus 1.8, then a king came who did not remember Joseph. He didn't remember. He didn't remember this story, this guy from a couple centuries before or he refused to remember. He refused to remember the, the lives that had been lost and the lives that had been saved and the pain that the community had sustained because it was more convenient for him to not remember that, but to simply say, here is a large group of people over whom I might exert my power. And he once again enslaves the Hebrew people, um, it, it exerts upon them enormous cruelty and oppression because he has forgotten he has forgotten the lessons that, that God taught, the lessons that the community learned through what happened in the last crisis. And we just, we cannot be that Pharaoh. <laughs> we have to remember. We have to remember one another's names and one another's lives and one another's stories and not just remember, not just sit and tell about it, but be changed because of what we have heard. This is the spiritual lesson and gifting of the Say Her Name and Black Lives Matter movement, which insist that we remember every person, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and every individual lost, because that is what will make us change, right? If we hold them inside of us, and it is what will sustain us, even as things do not um, yet look like the kingdom, that we can be sustained in pain and in hardship 
through knowing who we are, through knowing whose we are, through knowing what God has done, and through believing that it is worth it to insist upon a different world, upon a different way of being, even in the oppression that we live through, through pharaohs who forget what it is to be a human, and through the everyday pains of the ways in which our brothers and we fail each other. We must be people who remember. When we ask now what, we say, be like Joseph. Be someone who whatever situation you are in remembers that the Lord is with you and finds a way to be the person who God made. And as a community, let us remember that this pain will not be pain we have gone through for nothing or gone through and then tried to suppress, but pain that we will allow to change us because we will allow ourselves to feel all of what is, all of what has been, and all of the power that God has promised us can be ours if we move forward and remember together and be changed by what we remember. I am grateful to be making that attempt with each one of you and with the God who is with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.